Hello, everyone. A very quick one from me. It would be a massive help to us with our ambition to help as many recruiters as possible achieve their goals and also inspire the next generation to choose recruitment as a career if you hit that follow and subscribe button. If you're someone that prefers to learn in a visual way, we've also recently invested a lot in our video podcast experience. So in the show notes, you'll always be able to find the link to watch the video on our YouTube channel and make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Hisham Mazuz, and on this week's episode, I was joined by Oliver Perry, progressed all the way up to sales director for a company called Trust in Soda. We spoke about a lot in this episode, but more specifically around leadership, how he's got the most out of the people that he's worked with, how he's managed teams in sectors that he's never recruited in, how he's really committed to being not the hero, but the hero maker. And that probably explains why he's been voted several times over the last couple of years, the MVP of the entire company. Enjoy the episode. Ollie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Excited to sit down with you. I had you booked in for the, do you remember the live podcast event pre-COVID? You, you what, was as part a, of the as panel. A guest? As a panel. You was on the panel, oh, do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the shed. Yeah. So yeah. you ended up having to do Who it remotely, but you was, it was you, Rhonda D'Ambrosio and... Chris. Um, Chris. That's, that's I can picture his face. Oh, I can picture his face. He does like... Oh, no. That's killer now. We'll, we'll move, oh, yeah, that's I'm, whoever that is. I apps. I'm I'm sorry. I should remember. <laughs> I should know who that is. But it's been a long time coming, right? Obviously, we've got to know each other a bit over the the last couple of years. So, being honest with you, I don't want to blow smoke up your ass immediately. But anyone that I speak to in and around you that have worked with you speak really highly of you, specifically around you being someone who is an inspirational leader, gets the most out of people. You're a nice guy, super smart. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited to dig into this with you. So to give everyone some immediate context, we're just saying it's going to be your ninth year in recruitment, September. Yeah, you've worked for two organisations for the last nearly four years, three and a half years. You've worked at Trust in Soda, part of the Trinovo Group, and that's what we're going to be focusing on today. So just to give everyone some immediate context, over the last three and a half, nearly four years, you've progressed from, just looking at your uh, LinkedIn now, from principal consultant all the way to sales director. That is impressive. Sales director. That sounds cool, doesn't it? impressive. That does sound cool. Uh, all the way to sales director. So just to paint a bit of a picture of what that actually means, I think you shared with me that the most amount of direct reports that you had at the highest point was 36. It's around 25 currently. Not direct, but... Like fruit, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. in the team, yeah, yeah. That's in the team. You basically, the way you described it was anything perm-related on the soda brand you was involved in. Exactly, mate. Right, yeah. that, that's how you're involved. And what that means is you've got Ireland, Germany, UK. Yeah, I don't have Ireland anymore. Since I moved back to London, that's main stayed in Ireland, but yeah. Okay, cool. So basically what that looks like today is you've got four billing managers yeah. that you manage. Yeah. And then you've got visibility on the profit and loss, control of costs, triggers to hire. I think what you've had really good exposure to, which you shared to me, is really getting into the nitty gritty of building a profitable business, not just yeah. recruitment team, 
we're smashing our billings target. Like there's been a lot more to yeah. it that you've been involved in and you're responsible for. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm lucky that it's that's driven by how Soda and Trenova operate. Like they give you a lot of that clarity and on it because I interview a few people as managers and there's no no fault of their own. Some businesses just don't let you see that. Mm. Here's an NFI number, hit it. We'll deal with the rest. But actually Soda in a good way give you like the full clarity on seeing what goes in, what comes out and giving you a chance to control it. So yeah, I'm lucky. Yeah. Really. And that, that's something that you're then measured on, right? So yeah, yeah. I think what you shared with me, please correct me if I'm wrong, but what you shared with me was 2022, Soda, Perm, 5.5 in in revenues and sales. Yeah. That's yeah. what we hit in 2022. Yeah, and no, that was the Perm sales. And we did, it was the first year we started selling what we call embedded hiring solutions. We did half a mil of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was about six million total, yeah. And I guess final bit of context, because this is what we want to speak about, is you just, like, if we were to put your role into like a pie, you said around 40% of it, people leadership, employee engagement. Yeah. So one-on-one meeting, reviews, internal challenges, 20% learning development uh, within that as well. Then 10% of your role, forward-looking strategy, vertical market strategy. Yeah. Another 10% would then be always recruiting, internal recruitment. Yeah. And then I just realized this doesn't make 100%. And I've got 20% <laughs> client acquisition increase, client spend. Is that me or you? <laughs> but a big, a big chunk of it, leadership, culture, getting the most out of your people, make sure yeah. people are happy, they're performing. And that's what we're going to talk a lot about today, as well as what you're seeing from a client acquisition strategy sense that you're finding work within your organization. Yeah. So let's start with a million pound question, <laughs> something that you've probably continued to think long and hard about as you're building your teams. Yeah. What are the common characteristics and traits of current top performers in recruitment today, do you believe? I'm lying if I just don't start with, with work ethic. Like mm. it's it's such a boring answer, but I'm just such a believer in it. Like I'm such a believer that you've never met, you've never had anyone sit here that hasn't had to work really hard. Like it's just, you just don't meet people like that. And you get the counter argument, like the hustle culture and like quality over quantity. Like I get it, like quality is really important, but I'm just such a believer that like quantity leads to quality. Like you can't paint the perfect painting first time. You have to paint hundred paintings and you'll get there eventually. So yeah, work ethic for me is just, it's, it's really hard to interview for, but like once you find, once you know someone works hard, it's a good trait. I heard your last podcast, you talked about discipline a lot. Like I'm talking about using that word a lot because motivation for me is kind of an overused word because it's, it's extrinsic, it's external. Like you expect something to happen in your environment mm. to motivate you. And that's then hard to control. So discipline, way more important, no matter how you feel, no matter what's happening in your environment, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And then the the third one, the quirky one for me is curiosity. So you can't, it, there is no playbook to recruitment. There is no, they say this, you, and you say this. And a lot of how a phone conversation will go or how like a process will go will be down to that person's curiosity of like how they ask, what they ask, et cetera, et cetera. Hard to teach. But I feel like if you meet curious recruiters, they're usually, yeah, they're usually high performing. Mm. Yeah, I really like the the curiosity one. Yeah. I ask it in an interview now. One of my interview questions, I'm really bad at interviewing, but I'm trying to get better. One of my interview questions is, tell me about, like, tell me about one of your mates. Mm. And they're like, what are you on about? And they're like, what, give me one of your mates' names. And they're like, Adam. I'm like, what does Adam do for work? Tell me all about his job. And it's genuinely one of my red or green flags. If I like that. If they're just like, oh, I think he, uh, I think he works in a warehouse or something. Like, if you're not curious about, like, what your best mate does for work, there's no chance you're going to call some stranger, stranger, mm. candidate, and actually, like, be inquisitive and curious about them and what they want, so... I like that. Yeah, it's good. It's, I think uh, that's super practical, actually. Yeah, it's good. On the, yeah, I actually, I really like that. Yeah. So, I want to dig straight into, 
Oli the leader. <laughs> so something that you shared with me in preparing for this that really resonated, which I think probably explains a lot, is you said to me, don't be the hero, be the hero maker. And that resonated with me because you're not going to hear a lot of top form recruiters say that, I don't feel like. In the sense that you've ended up being known from the people that I speak to around being a leader, a great manager, whatever. That doesn't surprise me that one of your perspectives you have was what you really doubled down on when you went on this leadership journey was, yeah, being the hero maker. Yeah. So like, why was that a perspective that you started to instill and, and, and sort of view leadership or management from that standpoint? I quite quickly realised or always known that I've never I've never been the best recruiter. Like I've never been in a room full of recruiters and thinking I'm the best from like a quality or results perspective. And then I got lucky enough to like work with some really good people when I ended up in the leadership role. I mean now early days who were way better than I ever was. And all I was thinking is if, I, if they turn up like motivated, engaged, happy to come to work, proud that they work with me with this business, like that's all I've got to do. Like I've just got to get them out of bed and be like, I've well excited to go to work mm. and they come and, and like if I get that bit right because they're so good at their job like I don't necessarily have to touch too much else chicken and egg situation I don't think I went in with that mindset mm. but in this role I ended up working with some amazing people and then I was like yeah okay don't flood them don't overall them but like just make sure they're really happy and engaged to come to work because they're so good at their job mm. and then yeah and, and then they yeah like they were a big part of the success of the last two years so I was just it was all like get the good people firing basically so yeah and then I heard that phrase after the fact and I was like I looked retrospectively like I like that, that yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna use that yeah let's talk about that then for leaders for playing managers billing managers billing leaders directors whatever if they're looking at their team right now and they've probably got because it's normally how it works 10% of their team absolutely fucking firing yeah, yeah. they're exceptional they're doing 80% of the target yeah what were when you recognize that and that's where you could add the most value. What were the one, two, three things you immediately or worked towards doing to make them look forward to Mondays, be proud to be where they were? What were some of the things that you implemented, did to really get the best out of them? I honestly, I think it becomes like, uh, the first thing is that understanding like where they want to get to you have to do that to begin with because everything you do after the fact every single day how you treat them how you talk to them you have to be led by what they want so the, like the personal development plan right if you haven't done a personal development plan with one of your like top formers or everybody but with your top performers they tell you what they want they tell you how they want to be communicated they tell you what their career goals are etc 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 then it all works back from there right some people want praise some people want autonomy some people want L and D, some people, whatever they, you have to hear what they want to treat them as individuals and get there. So that personal development plan is a bit really important. And how did you do that quickly? Was that a, here you go guys, here's a couple of questions, think about them, we're going to walk through them together on yeah, Friday. Yeah, basically. We we do it once a year and review it mid-year basically. Okay. Um, and it's just what a, a series of prompts to basically. say. Blue what, sky thinking, it's a bit of blue sky thinking like one year, two year, three year, five year stuff. But it's more, it, it's really more about how they want to be treated and what what they feel gets the best out of them. What, um, so what sort of questions are you asking? One of them, I think there's like four questions on there, but what it, we talk about goals and goals being the end goal and then they're like the rocket fuel to get there. What is that rocket fuel? So you tell me you want to build a million quid. 
that's a goal. Like it doesn't, I doesn't, that doesn't really help me get there. But like, what is the fuel that I need to give you daily to reach that goal? And again, that comes down to communication style. That comes down to recognition. That comes down to time. So tell me what you need for me to reach that goal. And that's like one of the questions. One of them is how do we maximize their, what are their strengths and how do we maximize? How do I, how do you think I maximize your strengths? So they may be really strong in one part of the job and how do I top that up more and not worry about necessarily the things, right? So yeah, there's, I can't think of the two questions, but there's only four questions on the personal development platform, but it's very blue sky thinking. It's very like blank piece of paper, mm. but the aim is to like feel like you know how to manage them come out of it. So step one, before we even get into the things that I asked you is you need to fucking know, yeah, what's important to them, how they want yeah. to be treated, what their big aspirations are. So we've done that. Yeah. What were then some of the things that you approached, attempted, did daily, weekly, yeah. that then maybe even thinking about it now, yeah. what, what are some of those things? So- uh, let's see how many atomic habits quotes I get in this okay. interview, by the way, because because once you once I had the goals, one of the things that rings true to me from that book is you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your system. So they tell me mm-hmm. this is what I want, and then it's like, okay, what are your systems? What happens on a weekly basis, a monthly basis? That might be how much touch time we have together. That m- might be how much L and D time I give to you, how much L and D time you give to others. It might be. Community-led, what do you do outside of the day job? What do you do in your personal life? So, like, what are your there your goals? What are your systems to put that in place? And, yeah, you have to... If the PDP is just all blue sky thinking and it's all, like, I want to be the... Well, I want to be the best. And then that's it. And then you just put it in the cupboard. Like, it's rubbish. Like, you have to have the systems in place. And mm. and they can be different. They can be, um, they can be things that are in your diary. They can be just things that I need to do on a regular basis. Some people want... The stick some people want the carrot and i kind of need to know what that is basically so the pdp hopefully should tell me that and then the okay yeah so then you help uncover what what systems they have in place yeah talk about what they have in place and then it's like well okay well these are maybe the systems that we need to improve or need to look at need to work on that yeah. are gonna help you hopefully arrive at the destination that you're aiming for yeah exactly i it will always i don't know i'm quite um, process driven and I, i'll always end up back at the day job like it'll always end up being like okay let's talk about your business development strategy or your Mm. um your candidate network or your how you manage the database like it'll always end up back there eventually because they're the systems that you put in place to help you reach the goals but Mm. definitely work that way around but some of these people i'm talking about that's just so fantastic at their job that actually like they're telling me like the whole coaching mentality is me just being like yeah what else what else (laughs) did you do and then they they just come up with the answer so um so yeah, it uh, makes it easier when they're, they're good so at their job. <laughs> let, let, let me ask you this then. Hopefully this comes across the right way. Because I, I speak to a lot of high performers. So I think you shared with me your, this might have just been your best year. I don't know if it was the best year ever. You said it was like 250K. Yeah. And I was, yeah. Which now you've got people listening to the podcast thinking, what's he doing here? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. But the reason why I reference that, because yeah. I'm sure you might have had to wrestle with this. I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming here. Yeah. I speak to high performers who can be uninspired by their leaders because they're not better than them. Yeah. Have you had to wrestle that? How have you navigated that? Because that's why I think what makes your story great is I might speak to people that if you were to go, Ollie the recruiter compared to me the recruiter, yeah, I, I know I'm three times better than him. Yeah, yeah, However, yeah. I really respect and value Ollie because of his leadership and, and management. And these are some of the things you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Like what are some of the things behind that? Cause I think that is something that I hear a lot 
where I feel like, yeah, I'm not learning anything. I'm not inspired by the, my leaders. And oftentimes it's that, look, they're not willing to take the first step. They're not willing to do what I do. And yeah. I'm listening to someone that I know couldn't do what I do. And I know there's a bit of an ego there, but I feel like that could potentially be so something true. that you've had to wrestle with. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Sourcebreaker. And today I wanted to talk to you about sales opportunities and how Sourcebreaker can help. Because are you tired of the competition beating you to new sales opportunities? Do you want to make more placements from your existing resources? Who doesn't? Transform the way you work with Sourcebreaker. Revolutionizing recruitment with AI-powered technology, Sourcebreaker powers you with laser-accurate search results across all your sourcing platforms to build candidate pools filled with highly qualified individuals, all from one place, not from multiple tabs in different places. You will get perfect fit opportunities automatically tracking relevant vacancies and events in your market niche in real time and pre-built automations that constantly scope your markets to deliver high quality results at speeds your competitors simply can't match. Head over to sourcebreaker.com for more information. Back to the episode. You said take the first step, absolutely. Like the classic, I wouldn't tell them to do anything I wouldn't do. And that is absolutely the case, right? I wouldn't jump on, I wouldn't not jump on any call, send any email, go to any meeting and not do what I expect them to do. And hopefully they all realise that and they've seen that, even if it's not the quality they would do it, actually. <laughs> like, and then the, the, word, the first word that comes to mind is vulnerability. So... I feel like it works if you are a vulnerable leader where you admit your mistakes mm. and you bring yourself down to their level because everyone makes mistakes. Like I lost a retainer pitch this week against one of their agency and I led the whole thing and they went with the other agency, right? And actually telling them why I think I didn't win it and giving them the feedback the client gave me, that vulnerability I just think is so important to like get them on your level. So you never feel like you never create that like hierarchy, like even the silly little things, like I hate saying my team and like those, do you know what I mean? Like it's the team, it's not my team. I don't own anybody, I don't own anything. Mm. That Those little like colloquialisms. But yeah, I think vulnerability is a really important part that you don't create this hierarchy that doesn't need to be there. And then a lot of it's just being a good human most of the time. Like a lot of the traits are just being a good person. Like, mm. you'd, like you'd want to treat your family and friends. The last thing is L&D. Like I'm a big believer in... Uh, constant learning and development and I hope everybody that's ever worked with me does think that I would always help them fine-tune parts of their job right I would never ask them to just do more do more do more like quantity is important but like the quality of what it is is really important so hopefully everyone's that worked with me if, even if they're better than me in the day job they've always thought like Ollie can actually teach me something that I don't know yeah I really like that. No, I think that that's very well well put. I guess what what I'd love to dive into and get into a bit of, of detail because I think people will be interested in it is how have you gone about, and I'm sure this has evolved over time, but how have you gone about structuring your days, weeks with a big part of your role being management, getting the most out of people? Yeah. What, what has that typically looked like? I guess maybe you could take a snapshot as a sales director because there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. I don't know if your your diaries literally become one-on-ones and, and meetings, but how have you sort of chopped that up and what does it actually look like to ensure that you cover all bases on looking after your people, 
you know, covering any challenges or potential challenges down the road. You're also making sure that you send 10 emails out each day for potential recruiters. You're thinking about, well, like we're really not pulling as many jobs as we were yeah. three months ago. What does a typical cadence look like for Ollie at the moment as a sales director? How have you chopped that up? I told you from a week, but I might sound really boring, but in the purpose of some of the things. So first things first is like, you've got the mix of the team meetings and the one-to-one meetings. Again, I'm a big believer that team meetings are all about engagement. They're all about camaraderie. They're all about all agreeing we're going to do this together, not personal accountability, not name and shame in somebody like not trying to create accountability like Hisham run a team call you're going to do this for me this week or whatever right like it's just it's fruitless right toothless so team meetings are all about like the bigger picture here's where we are as a team here's where we want to get to here's where your your part to play in that so team meetings for me are um on as important as the one-to-one so you have your team meetings on Monday Wednesday Friday which is all about here's here's where we are the one-to-ones the agenda in the follow-up of a one-to-one I think is just so 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 important I think both sides of the fence can really underestimate the importance of it the consultant can come really underprepared chat for 20 minutes about the weather last 10 minutes is like just a real rush through how's your desk looking like those open questions like how's your desk looking like I hate it like I want an agenda that has like a specific closed answer What's your pipeline? What opportunities have you moved from X stage to X stage? What live jobs you work in? Closed agenda points that get followed up every single week. So everybody knows they come to a one-to-one. Ollie's going to ask me these things. He's going to help me with these things. And the next time we have a one-to-one, he's going to hold me accountable to what I said I did or what I said I was going to do. So that like one-to-one agenda, everyone should know going to a meeting what the agenda is in a one-to-one and everyone should know that it's going to get spoken about again. Otherwise, you come to a one-to-one and you're just like let me just get through this because Ollie's mm. never going to talk to me again. So your team meetings, your one-to-ones. Just on that quick, sorry to button, because I think I could improve mine. So I'm, I'm asking selfishly. Yeah. What does that agenda look like then? So we have the live job agenda is going through your pipeline, so which is live interviews. What live interviews have you got at live jobs? And then it's understanding how you can improve the chance of that making you money. And if that's close, if that's you need to do this with the candidate, you need to do this with the client, have you asked that candidate that question? What does wife think? What does her husband think about? Like those kind of closing questions on the candidate. It's a live interview. Make that closer to the money. What can you do in that process? Do you need to pre-close the client? Are they really going to offer 80K that they told you three weeks ago they might offer? So the actions off the back of that. Then you've got your business development. So we have a very easy sales funnel, which is three-stage opportunity. So if you want to nurture an opportunity, it's it's an open opportunity. I've identified that I want that to work with that client or I want to pull that job. And then you go through your sales funnel with them, your multi-channel sales funnel. And if they come back to you in a negative way, it moves to respond it. So it moves like the communication's open, clients talk to you, they've answered the phone, they've answered the email, you're one step closer, but they don't want to work with you, right? And then the third stage is positive response. And then part of the agenda one-to-one is you review your positive responses. Like what do we actually need to do to turn that into a client in terms? You review your responded, what do we need to do to turn that positive? Inviting them to an event, send them some market insights, send them another candidate, get them on the phone again, whatever it is. And then you open ones you haven't heard back from, what you do with them. So those two like live jobs, mm. uh, opportunity funnel, they're the, they're the main like stay of it. We're very data driven. Like I don't agree with this like no KPI policy in recruitment. I just don't like, you can't improve what you can't measure. So everyone's got a what good looks like from last week, job CVs, interviews, and there might be a couple of inputs like new business calls or targeted mm. specs. We said it week on week, this is what you want to do this week and you review it this week. You, you said you do this, you did you did this, like where can you improve, what do you need to do better kind of thing. So they're the three 
like stages and agenda. I don't know if that's going to help you from a, <laughs> no, no, that I can implement. No, I think because I think mine. I've set agendas, but it's probably more lent to because what my follow up question on that is everything that I've tried to learn about one on ones is it's about making it about Ollie the person you're sitting down with. Yeah. So not one part of that. I don't know. You might just do this throughout the week and in different moments. Yeah. But so that, that's, that's a very like that one to one I just explained is like a sales meeting. Oh, okay, fair. And then you so, have to because really I view one to one as in like minorly. So at the moment, because I think this is what a lot of people do. One on one. I don't know. I'd view one a one on one as Ollie talks me about how this week's gone. Yeah, yeah. That's a monthly review. So not that like you're just a robot all month until yeah. you get to a monthly review, but I think you have to be really careful that you don't advocate your responsibility in a sales meeting mm. to like not help that person. And if, and if your one-to-ones are all non-actionable conversations, I just don't think it helps. So your reviews for that, your reviews about the person's well-being, about okay. the person's goals, motivations. How long is that meeting? One-to-one. One. The, the one that you broke down? Half an hour. You can do all that in 30 minutes? Yeah. Fair. Yeah. No, there, I really rate that because... What you're also doing there, which I really like, as you said, this isn't, I can definitely imagine and see it now that I don't go into that meeting with you and you're like, you haven't done this, you haven't done this, you're shit. Mm. You're not doing that, right? You're trying to see opportunities where you can help them move things closer to, uh, yeah, improve where they're trying to get to or help with things. But what you're helping people do, which I a lot of recruiters don't do because I speak to them and when we provide learning from them and the, uh, for them and these things, is you're enabling them to self-reflect and know where they are every single week. Exactly that. And if, a lot of people don't. If you nail that meeting as the manager, you don't have to do much because the numbers, the data, the accountability, the actions speak for themselves and the person mm. comes with the answers. Here's what I did, here's what I didn't do, here's what I want to get better at. If, if it's really directive, it's not a good sales meeting. If I'm... Like coming over the top and telling them like everything they need to do and rather than allowing them coaching them to get there like mm. it's, it's a bad sell because you're taking away the overwhelm of going I'm nowhere fucking near my target <laughs> yeah. and yeah like how the fuck am I going to get there yeah. but if I'm taking a step back every week and go I've oh wow I've moved five clients from non-responded to responded I've got wow I've got five more interviews than I did last week exactly. every single week I'm checking in so you said follow up is really important as well as those what, what does that look like is it just you have to fucking follow up or do you mean right we've done this week one week two we're going to talk about it and how you got on and comp- is that what you mean yeah, by follow up the basics of like putting it into writing like basically mm. not uh, my memory's terrible and I and I shouldn't expect you a week later to remember what we spoke about. So, mm. like, just we easy thread in the Teams chat. Here's how we're in a one-to-one. Okay, here's what we've went through. This is your last seven days. This is your last 30 days. And these are the actions we want to achieve going into this week. And we go into the next meeting and it's just there to review. There's no, like, I don't know, if without the written follow-up, I just think it's so wishy-washy. It's, you're just relying on memory and you're relying on emotion a little bit. And it's really easy for you as a manager to advocate, to be like, I can't really remember what we spoke about last week. Mm. So how was your weekend, mate? Yeah, sound. And then it's like you're you're just getting yourself a hole. So like the written follow-up, it's so boring. It's so boring. Like it's not amazing like leadership tactics. But no, like but it's, written, it's the doing it. It's, exactly, yeah. yeah. So we've got team meetings, one-on-ones. Yeah, and, and there's some quirkier things. So we'll do like monthly business development sessions where we try and collaborate with what we're doing. Like it's really uh, it's really easy for us all to run off and try and nurture opportunities and speak to this point of contact here, here and here and this person's over here and here. So every month we'll get together and be like, this is this is what I've done. And it, and there's another consultant in another vertical trying to do the same thing with another point of contact in the other business, right? So we're just aligning those two things, call it um, opportunity collaboration. What else happens in a normal week? We do probably an L&D session a week, literally just what is tip of my tongue, like what 
last week we, I don't know, we had loads of finals rejected, right? So let's just do a quick 30-minute bite size on interview debriefing and pre-close. Like what, how can we affect the post-interview part of the job? Mm. Because we've had loads of finals rejected. Are we closing both sides of the party? So like a lot of the L&D is really in a good way reactive to what's happening in the here and now and yeah then all my upward stuff is quite to the ceo is quite data driven mm. pipeline numbers conversion profitability forecasting your profitability you have this amount of pipeline in the team you're averaging converting about this percent when's that going to be invoiced you know you can calculate roughly if you close these amount of deals 100k in invoice this month 100k next month 50k mm. next month what's your profitability forecast looking like and you said triggers to hire and that's a really good way of them making sure okay in the next three months, we're going to be EBITDA positive by X. Let's plan triggers to hire to maximise the like per head spread of the NFI. So that the upward stuff is all like profit and loss forecasting, mm. which sounds boring, but I used to be an accountant, so I like it. Did you? <laughs> yeah, that's what I trained at uni. I was, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I bet you absolutely love that stuff. I love numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I love numbers. So a big part of your role also then, and I know this is also challenges, how have you approach managing managers that's the hardest thing why, um, why is that so hard just because you're the, the i call them the front line like the front line soldiers the people the, the sales people they are your most important asset right they're, they're the people doing most of the work and i'm now too removed from them you want to help them but you don't want to undermine the manager so i, I did find it really hard um, what did you find hard about it? Just being removed? Yeah, just like get like trying not to be in the way. So coming over the top of, oh, they did that, maybe they could do that. And actually me doing that desk coaching to that person when actually I'm I'm undermining, potentially undermining the person that manages them, right? So just accountability is the hardest thing in sales. Like holding somebody accountable to doing something is so hard. Mm. And when it's a second removed accountability, hey, Hisham, I want you to get Bob to do that. Or I think Bob should do that. And then in our review, you're like, oh, Bob didn't do that. And then it's like the accountability is watered down two ways and actually getting to the bottom of it is really hard. So that managing managers is really, really hard. And as we know, bill of managers is just such a hard job. Like mm. I say it to my bill of managers all the time, like your job is harder than mine. It is hard. Like there's loads of elements, but I, their job is so hard. So, um, so how do you try and make their job easier then? Yeah, good question. I'd, lo- I'd like to make it easier. How do I make billing managers' jobs easier? I don't know the answer. <laughs> How do I make billing managers' jobs easier? Because if you know it's that difficult, because I speak to these people all the time, they're stressed, they're earning yeah, less yeah. money, yeah. they've got more responsibility, yeah. they're having to deal with other people's shit. Yeah. I think like coaching them through where they spend their time is important because it's really easy as a billing manager to become a parent and it's really easy to get so invested in like, the people side of it and the moddy coddling mm. and uh, doing it for them and not coaching them through it. So it's helping them, it's like helping them fail a little bit. It's helping them be like, it's fine if Bob goes through a week and doesn't do what you want them to do, as long as the end of the week is you coaching them to improve. But if if in that week you do everything for them, that's when you become highly stressed. That's when you lose your time to do your day job and your day job. And actually you're not, you're not like building anything scalable because you're just spoon feeding them and they're not going to be better next week. So helping them through that like coaching part is, is probably the best you can do. There's a fine balance between like autonomy and abandonment. So you want to give them autonomy because mm-hmm. they're a bit of manager and they're highly successful. That's why they're in their job. But you have to be really careful. You don't just like abandon them. You just like, yeah, I got you. You're fine. I'll see you on Friday. Let me know how you get on. So like, giving them that right balance of time and, and letting them do what they need to do is uh, is, a, is a quite a hard challenge. But if you get that right, it really does help billing managers because the last thing they need is someone breathing down the neck when they've got all that responsibility. Yeah. 
How have you on this journey so far? Because you've had to really get, yeah, you've gone on this journey on managing more of the the P and L, EBIT doll, these things. How has Oli approached managing underperformance? This podcast is proudly sponsored by Vincherry. Today, I want to talk to you about the power of the recruitment operating system. Disjointed tech systems are painful for growing recruitment companies. Too much admin, bad data, and no visibility. It's holding back recruitment organizations. Meet Vincherry. Vincherry is the creator of the recruitment operating system, a modern operating system for recruitment and staffing agencies worldwide. This natively integrated tech platform syncs data and workflows across recruitment agencies, front, middle, and back offices. Start off with a suite of modules, a core CRM, ATS, advanced reporting and analytics, video interviewing, and more. That's just their core product. Vincherry also works with a pre-integrated access products to expand your tech capabilities. Link up your recruitment websites powered by Volcanic or cover screening and pay and bill with the fast track integration. It's time to unite front, middle and back offices on a single recruitment technology platform. Unleash growth without gravity. Let's go. Find out more on vincherry.io and because you listen to this podcast, you get a discount. Check it out. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Data-driven to begin with, like performance management for me has to be data-driven. It has to be obvious. It has to be measurable. And if it's not, then that's when I think it's really hard to overcome. I spoke to, I won't name the names, but I spoke to someone in another business who who their model was hire, no, no trainees. We would hire experienced people, let them do what the hell they want. And we give them the autonomy and they were smashing it the last two years. And now the market's downturned and they don't know how to help them. They don't know what they were doing right. They don't know what they were doing wrong. And they have no idea to help these like really high performers. So data-driven is really important. Here are expectations over a month, a quarter or whatever. And it's not just sales, it's inputs. Like what are the inputs that you need to do this job to help you get the results you want? So many different inputs and everyone should be different. No one should just be a blanket. Everyone does the same. But then when people are underperforming, it has to be data-driven to be like, you haven't done this. Like, you haven't done this part of the input of the job. And we don't know if you are ever going to hit the results that you should have because you didn't do the input. So starting there is really important. And, and like, being data-driven with the with the actions of underperformance, not, like, try harder. Mm, do, you know what I mean? do more. Do more. Like, Coming earlier. Yeah. Um, I say that a little bit. No, I'm joking. <laughs> What's the, like, what is Ollie's dashboard? Do you know what I mean? What are, like, the, the What thing I that hold you, other people accountable to. Well, just... Just like, because I can imagine there are some really fucking key things yeah. and you love numbers yeah, every yeah. day, every week. You're looking at that going, oh, that's looking good this week. Like what's Keep like knowing. Ollie's dashboard of the performance metrics that you're always keeping an eye on yeah. that I'm assuming could act as lagging indicators of like, right, I'm starting to get a sense that we could potentially go in a downward trajectory. Yeah. But what does that dashboard look like? So the first one is pipeline entries. So pipeline pi- entries. Pipeline entries. The pipeline number could be, I've got £100,000 worth of live interviews, right? But it's a number that doesn't always tell the story because you could have two £50,000 processes and that's quite fragile and you had two rejections and you're down to zero. So the total value is not necessarily the important, it's the amount of entry. So I have four live interview processes going on. We reckon four is a sweet spot, five good, six exceptional. So you've got like effectively six different jobs with live interviews at, so they're potentially six placements, right? 
you get to that one, two, and your your pipeline becomes weak. So how many pipeline entries have you got is one lagging indicator. Job CVs and interviews is everyone's got that lagging indicator. How many jobs you need to work a month? How many CVs you need to send? How many first interviews you need to get? So everyone in the business has that unique to them, depending on their market and their level. They're the three like result dials. If you're getting the job CVs and interviews, like you back yourself with the quality of the work to get there. The inputs, but before that, Candidate calls is one. Like, again, someone might call me old school, but candidate is king and queen. Like, especially in the downturn market, when we were booming in the last two years, every, like a lot of information was inbound or it could be online information that you could turn into money. Now, the information you turn into money is what you get from candidates. It's just a fact, like, where they work, interview leads, like, they're the product that you sell. So finding more good product that you sell, et cetera. So candidate is king and queen. How many candidates do you speak to a week through liking indicator? New business calls, how many hiring managers do you speak to? And then we have how many targeted specs you've sent out in a week. So not like I've just sent 30 people this random mass email, but I've emailed Hisham say, hey, Hisham, I know this about you. This is how I could help. Whatever, targeted mm. spec email. And then the other one that we might use is opportunities. So we talked about the opportunity sales funnel. How many are you adding into your sales funnel? How many opportunities you identifying that you put in the top of your sales funnel that you then start using your cadence and your sequence to get through to mm. winning your clients? So they're the pipeline entries, job CVs, interviews. Candidate calls, new business calls, targeted specs, opportunities. I think that you remember that. really helpful. <laughs> I really like the pipeline entry one. Yeah, I, it's quite new actually. We so we always used the pipeline number a lot, and it, yeah. No, we, you're completely right because on the face of it, it's like wow, two hundred grand could drop in. Yeah, yeah. But then when you learn, oh, that's literally two jobs. So that if both of them don't go through. Exactly. Fucked. Yeah, Super exactly. vulnerable. And you should be able to spin in. Like I don't, I don't know what the magic number is, but in terms of good recruiters, should be able to spin enough plates managing three, four, five, six interview processes at one point. I, mm. I think that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I really like that. What I was going to say, I guess this might be it. So we've just spoken about dashboards, importance of data. And I think that really rings true what you were saying with the person that you spoke to in the company that you won't name. I literally spoke to a company today where I think it's all, we spoke about this live event, didn't we, where it's almost gone too much the other way on KPIs. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the language that I like to use is just science to success. Like people yeah, yeah. want to know or have a better idea because recruitment, there are, can be a lot of, particularly if you're 360, that you can be overwhelmed very easily. Yeah, definitely. So being able to sit with my manager and you can help me understand and see through all the spinning plates on like what good looks like. And if I do get in and around here, that should mean that I end up where I want to. Yeah. Is really fucking helpful and so, important. And like you said, you can't improve things that you don't measure. Alex put it in a really good way on that podcast, Alex Elliot. Yeah. He was like, if you don't believe in KPIs, KPI is a horrible word, but what good looks like is a better way. If you don't believe in what good looks like, it's like you don't believe in cause and effect. Like you don't believe that doing something leads to something else. Like mm. just in life. Like yeah. uh, and if if we we have to believe in cause and effect. So yeah, he he, he yeah, put it, it in a really good way. Yeah. And so like I do think that's something that people will be wrestling with particularly people hybrid environments not in the office as much these things and the reason why I'm bringing that up is because I guess it builds on to what you were talking about I was just curious to get your thoughts on you've got the data you know what things should look like how have you then gone about maintaining standards and is that through your one-on-ones is that through your team meetings like how has Oli like you can see where things should be yeah they're not how are you then trying to influence those things without stepping on people's toes, just telling people to do more of things? How yeah. have you got, it's, it's in it's people's hard. standards. It's hard. And the first step we had to take was the communication of that because in the mm. downturn, in the market downturn, people did have to, 
people do have to do more, right? But, and what I mean by that is make an extra X plus 10 calls to get that job or send an extra X targeted spec to get that job or uh, send more CVs to convert because the candidates are more risk averse now and clients more risk averse. So people do have to do more in a downturn, but the communication of that to start with is really important. And hopefully people in Soda believe me, but it's not me asking you to do more. It's not uh, the boss asking you to do more. It's the market asking you to do more. It's just mm. the conditions we're in. We're in. We're now playing a game where there's just more moves to make to get to the end of the game. So if we all agree on that, we all agree that if we want to be successful and the commission hit our targets, we do have to do more. Like not KPI micromanagement. I just want you to do more for the sake of it. Like we have to do more. It's, it's harder. And if if that communication was rolled out, hopefully as well as I hope it was, then that's the first step. So they believe why they need to do more. Then it comes down to the quality piece. Like it's like the basics of the job, resourcing, candidate qual, job qual, interview prep and debrief, those basics of the job, they're sometimes really easy to be like, whoop just do more and actually like we convert 20% of pipeline 30% when it's good we're getting down to 15% at the moment because like clients and candidates are risk averse and there's so much waste there mm. and actually like let's just make sure we're always doing it the best as possible like make sure the candidate qualification call if you some people just presume they do them perfectly but actually you do need to refresh yourself like what is a good one like in terms of what you get out of it interview prep and debrief like the quality of that is really important so yeah in, in terms of how it maintain standards let's just make sure we all agree why we need to do more mm. let's get on the same page and let's not put quality to the side let's not let's not forget that like the fine tuning all the parts of the recruitment process will also help us be better rather than just doing more if that makes sense so you know that that does like, what immediately comes to my head because this is something that i'm really trying to be disciplined with myself because i totally buy into just like what you've spoken about today and the way that you've operated things the way that you've spoken about how you operate things is you definitely have processes and you review what's working and you're measuring and, and you've got the data yeah. points to back up certain things. A lot of recruitment teams, one, don't don't measure anything so that this is even Mad. more difficult for them. Yeah. So, like, how do you prevent, because this comes into it, like, how do you prevent people being gravitated towards the new shiny thing, if that's personal branding, if that's mm -hmm. sequencing or whatever, and really get people to buy into the stuff which is the same because even if, if they just do the same thing and do it better yeah, they'll probably yeah. hit their target and more yeah that's actually the the hard thing like because you know we're building a, a training business honestly one of the most common feedbacks that we get is yeah like really enjoying what i'm learning but a lot of it is the same i'm like that's a fucking good thing <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't when you're learning it's almost like you want you want to learn new things and all that but actually it's come back to what you're saying. Yeah, just yeah. become, commit to becoming world fucking class at those basics and just do them every day. Yeah, but so that, that isn't exciting. That isn't sexy. I want to know about personal branding. I want to know automating my fucking subject lines <laughs> and like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You probably have to get people away from the shiny object. Yeah. I was, I, I, was, I saw Ben at your event from Sourcewell. I think it's a great product. I had a demo. I think it's a great mm. product. It just makes me feel really sorry for candidates and clients because they must be getting bombarded something right now. Do you know what I mean? Just because it's easy to automate all that stuff. But going back to your question, how do I get them to do the basics? Because like that's what you said is is really key. So how do you get your? Because I'm sure a lot of leaders can relate to that. They know it. They've been yeah, in the game yeah. for a while. How do you get people excited about relooking at their candidate qualification call and trying to get them to? buy into like look if we do this one percent better yeah. you're gonna hit your target yeah another atomic habit quote mm. the biggest threat to success 
isn't failure it's boredom like it's mm-hmm. it's just like like you say if you get bored of doing the basics in recruitment that's that's you'll get closer yeah. to failure so how do i get people excited about the basics leading from the front is probably the first thing like if, if i'm not doing the basics of whatever my job is if i'm not doing the basics on repeat and they don't see me doing the basics why should they do the basics right our basics might be different but like if i'm not doing them why should they do them I, I take it back to L and a little bit as well not just presuming that they know the best way to do the basics and let's just refine let's just retune all of those little things how you ask those open questions on the candidate qualification call how you best prepare a candidate for interview let's just keep fine-tuning those things i'm really lucky so just got an amazing L&D function that sits outside of me that will do that as well but from like a sales leadership perspective you want to help celebrating the wins is a really important one so like when somebody does succeed by doing the basics everyone's got to know about it when mm. someone fills a job by and the candidate came from a linkedin job application basics do you advertise all your jobs some people don't like mm. some people don't mind boggles right some people just some parts of the basics are they just forget to advertise their job or they just don't deem it important for example when someone fills a job because someone applied to that job celebrate it basic celebrate it like mm. getting an interview lead from a candidate and turning that into a job celebrate it like i think that's probably the best thing you can do is just make noise about the success that the basics are bringing to make everyone hyper aware of why we're doing it so yeah, uh, and then a lot of the, the rest of it is intrinsic a lot, a lot of it is about their discipline and are they disciplined enough to do the basics which is a bit harder to to <laughs> affect somebody's intrinsic mm. behaviors but so but before we finish then let, let's talk about because part of that pie that you're involved in is the business development element yeah spoke a lot about that the live podcast event didn't we so yeah, yeah. what are you doubling down on at the moment because as as you said you're having to communicate to people you're having to put more uh in yeah more inputs to to get maybe what you would have got six 12 months ago with less inputs what what are you doubling down on um what we're talking about business development we're talking a lot about follow-up simple boring but obvious like can't expect to do something once and for it to happen multi-channel touch points phone email linkedin video we're not very good at video but like there's many different ways to contact somebody, how many different ways you're doing it, how often you're doing it. Follow-up is really important. The strategy before the execution is really important in business development. Everyone's got something different, but if your business development plan is just, I'm going to ring a load of numbers, or I'm just going to, what, like there is no strategy behind the execution, you're off to a bad start. Our opportunity funnel helps with that a little bit. It's like these, there's a reason why they're here and this is what I'm going to do with them. Helping people with that strategy. Why are you contacting those people? It's business development in general looking backwards we talk about a lot like it's really easy to be like i need to add new companies i need to find the next highly funded business i need to a new 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 sometimes just turn around mm. look at your database look backwards and think about all the people you've ever engaged with all the people you've spoken to met work for there is business there probably lower hanging fruit so let's make sure we look backwards before we like looking for something new and yeah i'm just a big believer about phone-based sales like i'm just a massive believer that has to be incorporated in how often you speak to people how often you build rapport build relationships i text one of my colleagues before i came here because he sent me this that age ago that really resonates with me so when when you share information with someone i think they measure it in in a bit i think it's called and basically i think an email has like five thousand bits of information in it i don't know the science behind it and effectively when you talk for one second you give the other person twenty thousand bits of information so you think the words the tone the body language whatever basically like a quarter of a second of being on the phone there's more information being passed than four emails right so think about you on the phone for a minute think how many emails that is to actually pass that information so i'm just a big believer in phone-based sales 
That's just not. How, how are you driving that? Because I, I do think that is that's so common. You heard me talk yeah. about it on, and I even found that I have a small team of three people, and like I even find it hard to like yeah. drive. Yeah, I'm fair. like I'm just like. Uh, like if I was in your shoes, I'd probably just call them because you'd probably get to where you want to or understand what you need to understand quickly. Yeah. But it's up to you. How are you driving that with your people? Because it's so easy. To, like, I don't know if you... Back in the day, you used to strap their phone to their head and not do that anymore. Because no. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what sort of things you come across, but like something that I come across in my own team would be, yeah, I just don't really like the idea of like disrupting their day. And I'm like, right. Yeah. And then I'll try and communicate and educate on like, well, this is why I wouldn't view it like that. But like, well, how are you driving? Because if that's something that I believe has become a competitive advantage from all the recruitment leaders I'm speaking to, 100%. if you're willing to work hard, pick up the phone, build those relationships, it's about building those relationships, as you just said, you're able to build it more quickly if you're able to have those interactions, not just through a screen. How are you trying to drive that? Because I'm sure you get pushback on that. Yeah, not to be too brutal, but that kind of pushback is probably the kind of pushback you just mentioned in terms of not enjoying that part of the job probably goes back to like a, a hiring process problem, mm. right? Because you want to be hiring people that enjoy being on the phone from like in terms of how we operate, right? So, but if, if let's say everybody is engaged enough to do it and has the skill to do it, for me, it's just about removing as much friction to, for, to make it happen. Like a lot of people find it hard, I believe, because they their process is so bad that it takes them like five minutes in between each call, mm. like research development. What's the number? Do I have the number? Click here. So click how do you here, click then? So we've got very love love my CRM. So it has to, like the CRM is the most important thing, right? Okay. So we have it's set up in a way that we have two functionalities. We we create two lists for everyone. everyone should have. Sorry, everyone should have. Yeah, two lists. We call one the money list. I need to change money that. List. Sounds horrible. Sounds horrible, doesn't it? But fine. What should I change? It to? Money list. Yeah, I need to change that. But the money list for me is you have put a person in that list that you know there's a reason why you want to speak to them and you know you have a mobile number for them. Okay. Right. Whatever that reason is. That's up to you. What I mean, could it be? Could be they're someone that you used to work with that's just moved jobs. Okay. It could be they're a CTO of your target client. It could okay. be whatever talent acquisition. She lives down the road. Mm-hmm. She's your neighbour. And you well, got the number. You got you the know number. The re- what the reason is? If I close my eyes and I just clicked and dialed through these numbers and someone answered, I know I'm in the worthwhile conversation. Because what happens if people don't have that list? They scroll through. Shall I call them? I mm. don't know. Next one. Da, da, da. But to get to that list, there's a lot of preparation. So you we, our research and development list would be going into the database slice and dicing the information and going through and who's going in that list right so you'd search by whatever people you work with in the past target company right about using like mobile scraping tools mm-hmm. to get all that kind of stuff you have your big research and development list and when you identify someone i want to speak to them they go into there and then when you're doing phone-based sales parkinson's law dark time end time i'm going to do phone-based sales you're just clicking and clicking and dialing. Like it, removing the friction. Remove all the friction. And then you're not thinking about anything else, but like what I'm going to say when they answer the phone. What mm. I'm going to say, you call their profiles up, you've got the history of why you're calling them, you're prepared, you've got your script, whatever it is, right? Just remove that friction and just feel like click, 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 click. Like, I don't know, sounds sounds simple when I say it like that, but th- I, that's why I think phone-based sales are so hard because people create so much friction. They're not prepared to do it and it's so laborious. But if, if I just gave you a list of 100 numbers here, and you know if any of them answered, it'd be a call you're excited about. It becomes a lot easier of an activity. Mm. So No, no, that, that makes complete sense. And what I also like about that is 
because you are batching it or trying to encourage people to do that, I think what also can cause friction is if Ollie hasn't done phone calls for a bit or you haven't got recent reps in, that makes you more anxious about it and that makes you just push it a bit like, yeah, I'll do that later. I'll do that later. And then, because when you do, when you start calling and you speak to people, you get in the flow. Yeah. Like you're, you're, yeah. You, I mean, make sure we all fun. do it together, which I think is important. Like we all do it together. I will do it. We have our sales sprints, like mm. when we do it together and people are expected to not just do it in a sprint. Like it should be happen. It should happen throughout the week, but like, let's make sure we have time where we're doing it together. We win together. We fail together. We all hear the good, the bad, the mm. ugly. Like that's really important, I think is, um, and yeah, we're, we're back in the office three days a week now. And I think that's really helping, like not doing that from your bedroom. From like, bedroom on your own. Is there yeah. anything... Just quickly, is there anything that you've recently tweaked or done as a team on the phone side that's been effective, that's helped, whether it be the way that you've approached the why of your calling, opening your calls, anything that springs to mind Um, in terms of that's recently been working or anything like that? A few people trialing the like uh, permission-based opening sales call where it's like, uh, this is a sales call. Have you got thirty seconds? Mm. I don't know. If like the most hated sales, that Benjamin yeah. guy. Like he's a. It, it kind of works. That it's not. It's not for me. I, to be honest, there's the best sales calls are the ones that you know something that connects the person you're on the phone to, right? So if that if that money list, I need a new name, don't I? If that money list is good enough, when I call you, hey, Hisham, yeah, we both know Bob, or we met at this event, or I actually work with you. So if you've got that bit of information to start with, that makes the sales call a lot easier from mm. my perspective. Our value proposition as a recruitment company is being community-led, so we always have the ability to give them something without asking for something, give mm. them a platform to come on our podcast, give them a platform to come to an event, give them a platform to host an event. So we always have that ability to include that in our sales call. But yeah, nothing nothing too shiny and wacky outside of those things, to be honest. What are we exa- excited about? What am I excited about? I tell you what, we're going to look back at the end of this year in the world of recruitment and we're going to like, we're going to have learned something we're gonna we're gonna be so grateful for the the harder times and the, what we've learned and upskilling ourselves and parts of the job like i'm looking forward to the rest of the challenge this year mate. To be honest. yeah yeah what, what's been most challenging so far then this year the job that we were doing over the last two years in tech recruitment you probably got guests thinking what's he on about but in tech recruitment the job we were doing the last two years was a different job like it was a different job. Like it's like asking someone to be a teacher and now I'm asking them to be a butcher. Like there's a lot of skill sets that was just so different. Like what I'm asking someone to do now to what I was doing two years ago. And what a lot of people will say they're listening and being like, oh, everyone should have been doing BD all the time. Like it should never have stopped that. I, I don't necessarily agree with that controversial on the basis that you maximize the environment you're in wherever you are and you adapt accordingly right at the time high volume high potential fill every job you get you maximize every client you're working with yes client acquisition is important but like the skill the people needed then was a different skill to they need now so like it's the teaching or getting people in that mindset that of like it's fine we're all in a different job different landscape different environment but we're going to do it together and this is how we're going to do it and we're going to fail together so so yeah that's the challenging part at the moment we're just doing something potentially different than we would do two years ago or 18 months ago mm. Ollie. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, mate. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope there were plenty of golden nuggets for you to take away. As you'll know, I'm your host here of the Recruitment Mentors podcast, but I'm also the founder of Recruitment Mentors. 
We're a online subscription-based learning and education platform. We're on a mission to help thousands of recruiters achieve their professional goals and successfully progress their careers through modern and engaging online learning. If you're a recruitment business owner listening to this, there's a good chance that you value self-development, personal development. You're trying to develop a culture of continuous improvement. But we've partnered with a number of grown recruitment companies who were struggling to understand how they can invest more in their people, how they can upskill them more quickly without spending more time, without having to spend thousands of pounds of external trainers. And we've ended up being a really great fit, modern fit for recruitment teams. We can ultimately help you get more out of your teams by giving your people access to modern and engaging online learning, which they can access on demand. The thing that's really cool about what we're doing at Recruitment Mentors is that all of the people that your teams are able to learn from and the people that are delivering the learning content are people that are in role right now. They're billing, they're actively facing the challenges that your teams are, and a lot of the time they're amongst the top performers within their companies, which means your teams are going to be way more confident to learn and spend time on their learning when they know they're learning from people that are doing it right now, have been there and done it. There's nothing worse than feeling like training is not relevant and not current. The best place to find out more about Recruitment Mentors and if we can help you accelerate your team's performance is uh, send me a message on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn directly, and I'd love to connect with you and, and find out if we can help you get more out of your people.